you're listening to A Tiny Revolution, a podcast about ordinary people living revolutionary lives. My name is Kevin Garcia, and I'm so glad you're back for another episode. Welcome to 2020. Um, We've already had one fun little bonus episode of my new podcast called Thoughts and Prayers. So if you haven't listened to that, go over to wherever you listen to your podcasts and tune in and rate and review and all that good stuff. We've got a new episode coming out to you next week. I am thrilled to be getting back in the swing of creating A Tiny Revolution. It's been so long since I've started having conversations. I'm ready to learn so much more than than I did before. Like, because I feel like I've worked through a lot of my own bullshit and I've realized how much I don't know, (laughs) which is great. Constantly learning. Um, that this is no secret that that's that's what happened at the QCF conference where this episode comes from. So um, I was supposed to hopefully interview Duray McKesson because he's like one of my. Um, uh, are are you allowed to have activists as like you know people like you are uh, inspired? Like I don't know. I just had a big professional crush on Duray McKesson ever since I started like my own journey and. Um, it was brilliant um, to get to see him live at QCF. Unfortunately, we didn't get to talk before he left for the podcast. And so um, we actually arranged to have a conversation later after the conference, which is what the next episode of A Tiny Revolution is going to be. But that didn't help me at my live show at QCF. So what did we do? One, we asked our friend Tash to step in. Tash is an Australian worship artist and friend of mine. She has been uh, part of the worship community of QCF for a long time. And we were really excited to like, do a podcast together and then she forgot that she had a meeting at the exact same time and so unfortunately um, we didn't get to record um, and she wasn't there so I'm standing there getting ready to do my podcast I don't have a guest my friend Isaac happens to be standing right there and so he says do you want me to just hop on and I'm like yeah I don't know what we're gonna do but let's do it and then Swan was there Austin Hartke was there and they're like why don't we just get him to ask you questions and I'm like sure so I kind of like bridged an idea between Sue Ann's uh, idea of just all my friends asking me questions and then just let Isaac ask me questions about whatever he wanted to ask me about um, and so I allowed myself to basically you know get psychoanalyzed in front of everyone about my relationship thing so it's basically this turned out to be like a crossover episode of Isaac Archuleta's new podcast Queer Relay tips and a tiny revolution so these are this is an episode of um tiny tiny queer relationship pollutions <laughs> anyways before we I, I share the audio from that i wanted to let you know about a couple things coming up for me the book Bad Theology Kills, Undoing Toxic Belief and Reclaiming Your Spiritual Authority is going to be out by the end of the month. If you have not pre-ordered it, um, what are you doing? Go to my page, thekevingarcia.com, pre-order it. But of course, like if you're waiting on like the paper copy, then like, you know, just wait on that. It will be... um out soon um hopefully by the end of the month i'm i'm 99 point no i'll say like i'm 91 percent sure that i'm gonna have everything up by the end of the month and i'm just so freaking thrilled like i can't believe i cannot believe it's coming through um the forward was written by my friend mike mccarg um who is aka science mike author of finding god in the waves and also his new book um you're a miracle and a pain in the ass which is basically a book that was written for me um (laughs) 
Good God. Anyways, um, so also, if you're new here and you've heard me on the Ask Science Mike podcast, welcome. I'm really, really glad you're here. I hope you're ready to get really vulnerable with me because I'm about to have my ass read by my friend Isaac Archuleta in our, from our live show at QCF. But before we get into that, uh, what is, who is Isaac? What is Isaac Archuleta? Don't know, but who is Isaac Archuleta? That's a question I want to tell you about. Um, Isaac Archuleta is the CEO and founder of the I Am Clinic, a Denver-based LGBTQ um, counseling organization helping people uh, grow into their fullest selves. Uh, Isaac uses a model that is based on relational repair, whether that be a focus on one's relationship to self, another, or the higher power that they believe in, as well as relationships with a substance or an unwanted pattern. He diagnoses how relational patterns were set up, how they dysfunction, and what needs need to be met in order to achieve the goal that people have for themselves. Um, Isaac has a master's of arts in clinical health, clinical mental health counseling. Um, he's invited to speak all over the places. Um, he's been in the Huffington Post. He's been on my podcast before. And I just find him to be like one of the most delightful people and one of the few people in the world that I... Um, I don't know. We have this beautiful, like, physical affection that we have for each other that's, like, not sexual, but, like, deeply erotic. I don't know how to describe it beyond that, but... (laughs) If you know about, if you know, if you know, you know, you know, so uh, if you would be so kind, go ahead and grab yourself a copy of whatever you want to like read after you're done with this. I meant to say coffee, but then I said copy. Anyways, grab yourself a drink of whatever you prefer, whether that's um, a whiskey um, or maybe that's a red wine or maybe that is some tea, whatever it is, please um, get comfortable. And uh, enjoy this conversation with my friend, Isaac Archuleta, live from QCF. Hi, everyone. This is Kevin Garcia. You're listening to A Tiny Revolution, a podcast about ordinary people living revolutionary lives, live at QCF 2020 in Fort Lauderdale. You guys can't see it, but it is this few and mighty times here in the podcast room. So, truly, someone, no, it wasn't you who were telling me that, like, because my branding is, it's tiny. I'm just like, of course, it's only going to be like four or five people here. It's perfect. Um, So, thanks for being here. I'm excited. Um, Just because I like coming and just recording this in front of people, because a lot of times, it's just like, I don't actually get to see faces. Um, a lot of times it's just audio and it's nice to see your face. And I'm glad that I get to do it with you because we haven't done this in a while. In a while. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Um, Isaac Archuleta, can you tell people who you is and where you're from and mm-hmm. what you do? I is a person from Denver, Colorado. Mm-hmm. Um, you I, love grammar. <laughs> I totally do. Um, you both appreciate um, an Oxford comma. <laughs> Yeah, for sure. I kind of got on board. I'm a convert (laughs) to the comma. Yes. Um, So Isaac Archuleta, I'm a native to Denver, Colorado. Um, I am a psychotherapist in Denver, Colorado, and I specialize in working with the LGBTQ community and whatever they need. So I just hang out in my little private practice all day, every day. That's delightful. Yeah, thank you. What's What's the worst part about living in Denver? I don't want the best thing because everyone loves giving the best things first and I want to know the worst. Okay, this is going to be a little pejorative, but I'm an extrovert and I feel like Denver is a city of introverts. Mm -hmm. 
And so when I leave the office, the one thing I want to do is go play and talk and be with people. And everybody is introverting at home with their beer and their dog. And I have no one to play with. So that's the one thing I do not like about Denver. Have you considered getting beer and dog for yourself? <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> but it doesn't yeah, that's really important. Right. What kind of beer and what kind of dog would you get? I would get a stout beer mm. and probably a rescue dog. Some a dog with a temperament who's incredibly affectionate because that's mm. what I am. I just want a big fat beagle. Yeah, there an you go. old big fat beagle with droopy eyes. Yes, you know, mm-hmm. I think that just sounds cute. <laughs> um, so I'm gonna spin off an idea you had, and then also like just like probably rotate all y'all out while we do this. Um, I want, I want you to ask me questions about whatever you want. Okay. So that way I can just talk and you can come up with something interesting to ask because you're an interesting person. I can do this all day. I know. Okay. So, uh, if it's okay, you can edit this part out if you want. No, ask me whatever you want. You know, Um, an open book. But this is actually uh, what we do in Queer Relationships, the podcast that I'm launching. Queer Relationships, the new podcast coming soon. Yes. But Queer Relationships is all about identifying what is really common in all of our lives in terms of the cravings we have for relationships. So... Keep going. Okay. Is it... Yeah, I just want you to check out this recording because I had a fear that happened in my heart. I know I have nothing to fear but fear itself. Okay, we're great. Great. Never mind. See, nothing to fear. So the idea here is that what is common for us in relationships, it can feel so personal or as though we're the only people who have this particular challenge or craving. And the idea is to expose it so that we can all have access to helpful resources that help us live in my language in the likeness and image of God so that we can reclaim our God given relational role, which means our truest identity. So if I can put you on put me on the spot. I'm ready for this. I'm gonna kind it's a of, crossover episode now. Yeah. Wow. I'm interviewing you on your podcast, which is awesome. So okay, I'm ready. I'm going to start in a very obtuse way and then we'll drill down. Okay. Okay. What do you feel like are the top three emotional cravings you experience that call you towards relationships? Belonging, affection, mm. sexual intimacy, to be heard, to feel valued. Um, I think I'm craving safety in somebody else. I think I, I think I crave like sexual connection for sure. And, um, I mean, I really do like touch. Like, totally. Like it's my favorite. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I know. Shocker, yes. right? Uh-huh. <laughs> okay. So let's get underneath this though. Okay. Why touch? Why touch? Yes. What does the craving for touch represent in your life? What does it, what does it do? What does it function? Mm. Um, I, our family, like we hugged and whatnot, but like there was never like a model for like in just like, like, uh, just like safe touch. Totally. Yeah. Like just like even just like platonically and like I was a very sensitive child and like I I think I just craved those things more. And it's something I, um, you know, wanted to, you know, like I had like in elementary school, I had my girlfriends and we would all just hold hands because like that's what we did. And 
you know, it's just, it's there, uh, there's a shame around like needing to have that or wanting to have that. Yeah, absolutely. So let's go with this idea. What happens if you got that version of touch? What would it do for you? What would it signify? Um, that you belong, that you're safe. Yeah. Or that, that somebody wants me. I think that's the thing. It's just like to be wanted. Like totally. Um, because like if, if I am worthy of somebody's touch, then that means something like, especially if it's, if I welcome it too. Yeah, for sure. What does it mean? If I'm worthy of someone's touch, therefore that makes me, um, worthy of someone's touch. Therefore I adjective. I am sure. Um, I, yeah, I, I, you know, therefore I belong. Therefore I'm, yeah. I am a, a value. Yes, absolutely. So we've all been trained to think that our value comes from certain places. And this is a beautiful process at the beginning of our lives, but then it becomes a process that we almost use to inform a role we're not destined to play. So this idea is something that comes from attachment psychology, but it's this idea of mirroring. Mm -hmm. If I express my desire and you see it and it's categorized by you as beautiful, Mm -hmm. you feed it back to me and that feedback tells me who I am on the planet. I am Mm. lovable. I belong. I matter. But if I get negative feedback because you can't appreciate my calling to you, I'm disposable, Mm -hmm. I'm rejectable and I'm valueless. Mm. So our interactions with people and the way that we negotiate our emotional cravings will literally help us play a role in relationships that either affirms who we are created in God's image or it divorces us from Mm. who we are created to be in God's image. (laughs) For for those of you, for those of you watching at home, like I just, I was staring at silence and I just opened my mouth and nothing came out. I don't know if I've ever seen that happen. (laughs) It's been happening. For Kevin or Kevin. I, yeah. Wow. Okay. So let's. So yeah. So you tell me what, what where to go next with yep. this because yes, yes, absolutely. Because I feel like I am. I feel like I'm having a light bulb moment because I I've seen uh, what you just described. I saw play out like on the beach today. Totally, it plays out everywhere. Yeah, it plays out everywhere. I'm gonna. Can I go to a vulnerable spot with you? Absolutely. Okay. What happens? when you throw this desire out into your close friends, a potential partner, mm. a potential lover, and they give you that negative feedback, what messages originate in your body um, about who you are? I try to act like it doesn't hurt. Like, cause like, cause like you, like, you know me, like I shoot 100% of my shots. Totally. Um, mm-hmm. And I think I feel like I'm pretty resilient, but like there's like I think there comes a point where like I uh, I'm tired of having that rejection. It's just like well, keep doing, just keep trying, just keep asking, and it's just like well, I keep asking, and you know whether like whether or not I'm okay with hearing no, like I'm, I'm of course I'm okay with hearing no, but it doesn't stop no from feeling a certain kind of way. Totally. Yes. And I think that it's so important for us to pay attention to that feeling of no, because it will create an identity. 
I am someone who has to keep asking. Right. I have, <gasps> I have to. Shit. Yes. Okay. And okay. What we're now talking about is shame. Okay. So now we've discovered how shame originates in our body. Mm-hmm. I threw mm-hmm. this beautiful God-given desire out into the world to belong. Someone couldn't acknowledge it and respond to it maturely. So they mm-hmm. threw it back in my face and now I feel mm. damaged. Yeah. Even if that wasn't their intention. Even if it wasn't their intention and even if it's not true. Yes. I still believe it. Yeah. Because I still feel it. Totally. Mm, mm, this mm. is how I feel we get divorced, not only from our God-given identity, but from our own authenticity. Because now I can't push that desire out into the world in an authentic way. Right. I have to shape it and package it and present it in a way <sighs> that I think I can get that affirmation. Yeah, which is what leads us to like uh, try to change an outward appearance in order to attract the thing that we want. Or, th- or like basically the idol that we think is going to give us happiness. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I'm going to go on a little bit of a tangent here and it's not going to be applicable to everybody, mm. but this is, bear with me here. I'm going to traipse into some We're uncomfortable going to bear territory. With you. Okay. <laughs> I is think because that- because I turned 30 and I'm becoming a bear now? Is that what you're saying? <laughs> no, because I'm 36 and uh, has nothing to do with that. <laughs> but I think that this fabricated way of trying to garner and earn, quote unquote, our emotional cravings sets us up to create a facade that we think will be pleasurable to other people. And when we enter spaces, and this is the challenging part, like Grinder, mm-hmm. what we're encountering more than connectedness is people's fabricated facades. Right. And this is what makes, this is a system that can, not necessarily will, but can distort the way we share and pass our God-given emotional desires between the two of us. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So we can actually begin creating a system of abusing our God-given desires to soothe the pain mm. of not getting them in a healthy way. Mm-hmm, this is, mm-hmm, I think, mm-hmm. I, can, I can talk about this all day, but when we talk about missing the mark, uh-huh. we have been taught to think about behavior. Right. I lied and I missed the mark. I stole mm. and I missed the mark. But what if the origin of missing the mark had nothing to do with our behavior? And everything to do... With our identity. Mm-hmm. Like you weren't who you were. You weren't who you were. I couldn't present who I am. Mm-hmm. I couldn't hit the mark on my authenticity. Right. So I pushed this desire out in a fabricated way and what came back shamed me. Yeah. Because the thing you put out into the world wasn't authentic. Totally. Interesting. The, the What I put into the world was this identity that I am not good enough, so mm-hmm. I have to fabricate it. So missing the mark is the mm. identity that we're using, Yes, not the behavior that comes from that identity. Oh, so it, it is not about the action per se, but more about the motivation. Totally. Hmm. Because this guys our relationships. If I'm pushing out into the world from a place that I don't really know how valuable and precious I am, the feedback I'm going to get is going to set me up for more shame. Right. That's missing the mark. Because it's already a cycle that you can recognize. It's almost like, or if you don't recognize it, you will just continue to get stuck in it. Who is it that said, I think it's Carl Jung. It's just like, you have to make the unconscious conscious Mm -hmm. or you're going to be ruled by it your entire life and call it fate. Totally. (laughs) I think that's the quote. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. So can I take us in that direction now? Uh-huh. Okay. I am. 
Yeah, you guys, welcome. That's the whole point of queer relationships. Yeah, you guys, listen, Esther Perel, you better get out the way. Cause, Girl. No, just kidding. I love you, Esther, if you're listening to <laughs> Esther, if you're please listening to my, my podcast, please. <laughs> please like, share, and subscribe. And please let me do a session with you. I've got so many problems. Yes. Okay. Help me, Esther. Sorry. So okay. from this place that I would call an identity distortion. So I've put my desires out there. Immature, unhealthy people gave me feedback. And now I believe I'm disposable. I'm rejectable. And I believe I have to earn my value by performing for people. Mm. So that's my identity, right? Right. What this creates within us is this concept of the illusion of control. Mm-hmm. The illusion is that mm-hmm. I control how you feel about me. Right. I control how you feel. I control <sighs> your happiness and your rootedness and your belonging yeah. based on how I present this fabricated sense of identity so that who I truly am doesn't disrupt your emotional being. Yeah, that sounds like, you know, classic codependent. Yes, it is. It literally is one of the pillars of codependence. So what we do is we use these what I call tadas. To say, ta-da, look at how I didn't show up. Ta-da, look at how I buffered my personality. Mm. Ta-da, look Dan- at how oh. I didn't share my honest preference for what happened between us. Mm-hmm. And I can do ta-das for a while. And it will create this euphoric place in relationships until I burn out. Right. Until I become resentful of my partner for doing something they didn't know I was doing. So mm. I start to resent them for the tadas that they didn't ask from me. And then we say, I resent being in relationship mm. with you mm-hmm. because I'm tadaing for you and you have no idea that like I'm I Like I'm, I'm trying so hard to be the right kind of person. Right. Ooh. And so then what we do, I'm describing a cycle here, but then yes. what we do is we back out of the relationship and we create mm-hmm. a very intense separateness. Yeah. I have to get away from you. And the moment that we pull away and we create the separateness, we say who I am, quote unquote, mm-hmm. was never good enough for you. I'm never going to be valuable. No matter how well I, quote unquote, perform, I'm never going to be good enough. Right. And so then we're going to turn away and create all of this intensity to occupy that space where our partner was. Right. Right. You're squinting. Ooh, I am. I'm squirming. Yeah. Yeah. What's happening? Tell me about it. Um, in my head or in my body? Your body. In my body, my chest is really tight. And I realize that I haven't been breathing deeply. Mm-hmm. <sighs> Where do you feel powerless? Uh, right behind my eyes. Okay. What is that powerlessness saying? I am... Very sad. Okay. Yeah. For what? Um, very sad because I, I don't think people actually want me. Mm. Yeah. That's the identity distortion. Mm, That's it. People don't want me and I can earn being wanted by tethering people. This is the identity distortion that we all live in. Yeah, 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 yeah. It makes a lot of sense. It seems crystal clear. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So what we do, I'm going to finish the cycle. All right. We create all of this intensity. We work a ton. Maybe we 
um, fall into our addiction for porn or we hide and, and we're kind of in the grinder world and we stay Drag there me. because, yeah, because we're saying I have to medicate the pain of living in this identity distortion. Mm-hmm. So what kind of vacation can I get from this person I have to ta-da mm-hmm. because I've worked overtime and I didn't get paid and I need a vacation. So we check out. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. we can check out long mm-hmm. enough. And then what we do because we're motivated by earning our value mm-hmm. is we will feel guilty for leaving our poor damsel in distress, quote unquote, alone for so long mm-hmm. that out of guilt and obligation, we're going to lean back into the relationship and start tadoing all over again. Uh-huh. So yes. we're going to live in this nice little cycle. And the whole cycle is based on the premise that I have to earn my value. Otherwise I'm not wanted. Right. So how does one stop that cycle? <laughs> yes. I'm not asking for the magic bullet, but if you do well, have a silver one. Absolutely. Hopefully I have a little bit of both. But it's magic not a bullet. Magic and silver. Uh-huh. Yeah. But it's not something magic that silver. you... Here's the trick. It's not something you do. It's something you be. It's something that you learn to reclaim. Mm. And this is, I think, the reparative piece. And this is why I believe in spirituality and mm-hmm. what I would call the gospel. Mm. Because it's saying, if I was created in the likeness and image of God, the desires that are in my heart are always innocent and pure. Yes. No matter who can or cannot respond to them appropriately. Mm-hmm what I push out into the world is always this craving to belong, to feel valued, Mm -hmm. to love, to be loved. And no matter how someone responds to them, they are beautiful. And my Mm -hmm. identity should be based on that belief Mm -hmm. rather than how people respond to me or don't respond to me. That is the practice that refines our identity and begins to, I love this term, remember who we are. Mm. Remember in the sense that if I'm fractured, I can remember, I can Mm. put back this unit into cohesive form so that I live out of my, not a restored identity. Right. Now I know who I am and I'm hitting Mm -hmm. the mark on how I see and believe about myself. Mm -hmm. Now my behavior will be great. When I have a bad relationship with my desire, I have a bad relationship with my behavior. Ooh, fuck that one. Yeah. If I have a bad relationship with my desire, I'm going to have a bad relationship with my behavior. Totally. Mm-hmm. There's another dancer in this cycle. Do you want to learn about that one? There's more. There's, There's more. more. <laughs> There's more. To sh- Is yes. it the other person? It's the other person. Okay. Ha mm-hmm. I'm a psychic now. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes. So the other person is someone who is trained to believe that they are disposable, that they're too familiar with being detached from. When they're putting these desires out and they're left unmet perpetually, this person says, I don't have to earn value. That's not what they believe. What they believe is I'm valuable if someone comes hunting for me. So what they do, what we do, because I live predominantly on this side of the cycle, is we create this fantasy of the person who can rescue us, how they'll love me, how they'll look, what they'll do, how they will treat me. And we have, I know where this is going now. I know where this is going. We have this whole fantasy of who this lover will love us. And we pull that fantasy into reality and we set it right next to our partner so that we can constantly compare our partner to our fantasy. Rather than experiencing the person in front of us as they actually are. As they are. 
Ugh. But this okay. reforms the cycle. Yes. Because the dreamer, the fantasy maker, is saying you should try to earn value by making my fantasy come true. Mm. And the first person in the cycle says, yeah, watch how well I can ta-da you. Mm. And so at first it's bliss. Yeah. One person says, I'm drowning. And the other person says, ta-da. Oh. And it's magic until it's the not magic become overwhelming. And the moment that the performer, the ta if you will, mm-hmm. creates this detachment and separates from the person, they will go into this massive whoosh of failure, shame, blame, and anxiety. You told me you were going to rescue me, and then you left me to drown in the water. How dare you? So as, as the performer is in this place of taking this vacation we talked about from the relationship, the fantasy maker is living in this overwhelming sense of being disposable and they're going to obsess and medicate like crazy. Where did you go? Why aren't you here? I'm going to text you 17 times. I'm going to drive by your work and I'm going to ruminate on where you are and why and you And make up the story here. about yes. it. Yes. Because now instead of a fantasy, they're operating out of a nightmare. You Mm -hmm. left me and it feels real. Yeah. Our connection was never real. Mm -hmm. So then to complete this very fun cycle, (laughs) (laughs) the performer will say, I felt guilty for leaving you. So I'm leaning back in the relationship and the fantasy maker will say, see, I told myself you were going to be my superhero. Now I'm valid. And And we live out of the system where now I feel valued because I'm validated mm -hmm. and the other person feels valued because they can ta-da. Um, is that, is this that piece of paper you handed me that in your, in your office that one time Yes. that I got really mad at Yes. and I tucked it into my journal and I haven't looked at it since. Yes. <laughs> yeah. My friends have a habit of like talk, telling me, like, dropping me little hints here and there. And <laughs> I think hindsight is 2020. I'm like, Oh, my friend spotted this a while ago. <laughs> yes. mm-hmm. And, uh, I asked my therapist, like when she pointed out, like, that I have a whole bunch of anxious avoidance tendencies. She said, um, I said, why I was crying. Cause I said, I don't know why I couldn't see this before. She's like, you didn't see it because you couldn't see it for sure. It's not really, there's no answer to that to go back. I totally agree. And I resonate with you and to, to be very gingerly and authentic here. What lives in the subconscious is subconscious and we don't know what's happening. And I think that this is why we need awareness. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think if I'm a, I'm a therapist trained at a seminary, but this is in my opinion, the gospel of repairing identity. Mm -hmm. Because if we don't know how we were created in the image and likeness of God, we're not going to show up in relationships and we are created to be relational people. Mm -hmm. And if we're going to be God is love on the planet, in our best, most pure form, we're going to have to know our truest identity. Yeah. Uh, I've been reading A Course in Miracles because I'm that girl now. Mm, I love, love Misa Marianne Williamson. I'm just <sighs> Listen, here's the thing. Like, just for you all know, she's got a long history of great books and it changed my life. Sorry. Mm-hmm. So go read A Return to Love and get mad with me. Um, but something I was reading in A Course in Miracles said, um, like one of the, like the big statements is like, it, it, the, only cho- the only job of the child of God is to accept the atonement for themselves. And what that means basically is just like, can you accept that God actually does love you and you are valuable? 
totally. this life right now. Yeah. Because if you can fix that and like you, like everything else will fall into place. Absolutely. And my language for what Marianne is saying here, at least I would think, mm-hmm. is the remembering, putting right. this identity back into its original form. Mm-hmm. That's it. Remember who you are, Simba. Literally, yes. Remember but that, but who that, you are. <laughs> but I think in practical terms, what that means is we have to reclaim mm-hmm. the desires that have been distorted. Right. Like an art conservationist repairing Michelangelo mm-hmm. or the Mona Lisa. We have to get in there and do the work to say, how was this identity supposed to look? And how do I literally let myself believe mm-hmm. that this restored piece of art is who I was intended to be? Mm. This means if for many people in the queer community saying to be loved by someone of the same gender literally used to feel dirty in my body. Right. And how do I now learn to let it feel clean? Mm-hmm. That is some serious permission giving. Yeah. That is a bold step. And we literally have to trust God with the very fiber of who mm-hmm. we are to let that happen. Yep. <laughs> I have nothing more to say. And I think that actually like puts a really beautiful button on the whole conversation. Cool. Because I uh, feel like I need to be invoiced. Um, um, but please don't because I cannot. <laughs> uh, I don't have insurance right now. <laughs> if you took my insurance, then hell yeah, absolutely. Well, yeah. Uh, um, do we want to do a Q&A? Um, I, I'm not, what, time, what time is it presently? Um, yeah, if there is any, let's do a little Q&A from anyone in the audience. So if you have a Q... And want to ask it, you can ask it. I have a cue. Um, the so thinking, I think it's like a lot of what you've talked about has to do with like <sighs> the love that we have that we want to give other people, and like figuring out ways to love ourselves. Um, and like I can totally see how a lot of that works when it comes to things like dealing with the shame around orientation. And I'm wondering what tweaks we might make to think about the shame that we have around like gender performance. And if that's like, how is it different? Is it different? What are experiences with that like? I would say, and this is kind of the the premise underneath all of it, but it's to identify what I would call the primary desire underneath gender. When I'm expressing genders, all of this stuff out here in the physical behavioral realm, potentially. And what is the desire underneath that, that I actually feel to motivate my behavior. And so maybe it's the desire to feel a feminine energy by crossing my legs and using my hands in a particular way. And can I let that desire within my body feel clean? Because when I was in eighth grade and people would bully me, that desire didn't feel clean. It felt dirty. And so I would walk into a room and sit with, I would man spread, pretend to be macho so that I could feel like I was earning value. And can I let the experience of desire, the desires that motivate gender feel clean in my body? Does that, is that kind of a tweak you were looking for? Okay. That's a good one. Um, I, 
I've been thinking a lot about what gender means in lots of different cultures, not just here in America. And, um, and I've been talking to Sarah New a little bit about it too, about how gender is a, is a way of uh, having relationships with people and understanding your relationship to different kinds of people. So, like, I think Sarah found an indigenous tribe in Southeast Asia where, like, the women do a certain kind of agricultural rice work and the men do a different kind of thing. And when this anthropologist, this Western anthropologist came, they couldn't tell if she was a, a man or a woman because she didn't know how to plant rice, something like that. And it has to do with the way we relate to each other. So I think in, in a big way, what Isaac just said about what is the desire underneath that? A lot of the time, our performance of gender is, is trying to uh, fulfill like someone's fantasy of a person and then that performance, it falls a lot into what Isaac just talked about, about romantic relationships, except that this is a, an aspect of performance and fantasy and expectation that exists in a, in a plethora of relationships, whether it's romantic, it's familial, it's platonic, it's, or it's a uh, vocational, right? Mm -hmm. So that's my response. To, to kind of piggyback off that, I would say that the primary emotional desire underneath that is the desire to belong. So the tweak would say, I can create a sense of belonging by expressing my gender this way. But if I stop that ta behavior, how can I understand and learn about belonging without that fabricated behavior? Where do I need to go? Thank you very much. Um, my name is Mixwee. My pronouns are they, she, and he, because all of them apply to me. And I uh, really appreciate all of the conversation. And uh, one of my questions um, is kind of just something that came up remembering a previous interview and how uh, you were called a heretic at a young age. And I don't know if you've ever been called a heretic, Kevin, uh, but I imagine maybe you have. Um, <laughs> I just imagine, you know, it's possible. Um, so, you know, so, so I'd love to hear the two of you kind of unpack that idea of like, being a heretic or heresy um, in relationship to these ideas that we're talking about of yep. gender and sexuality. Mm -hmm. So again, to kind of continue on with the theme, and I, maybe I keep going back here because it in many ways saved my life, but it was instead of creating a conversation with other people on how they determined God thought about me, it was a prayer life where I went to God directly and talked about my emotional desires, my emotional mm -hmm. cravings to say, literally, God within my body is this desire to be loved by another man. How do you feel about that desire being in my body? Mm. So I could take out the middleman and I could debunk for an experience in an experiential way this idea that I'm a heretic by feeling and wanting certain things and and allowing a prayer life that allowed me to understand as best as I could how God thought about my desires mm -hmm. and the idea of not seeing myself as a heresy came from saying, oh, the desire to want to be in relationship with another man has nothing to do with sex, although I think that's beautiful. It has everything to do with feeling like I belong. And that to me is a pure, innocent, God-given desire that was given to me by God. And that is, I think, a way how I worked myself out of feeling like a heresy, like I was in opposition to God. Yeah. I think cosine on those things. I think 
my own theological evolution over the past year of being uh, three semesters in seminary and like reading the greats, quote unquote the greats, uh, the white men. Um, yeah, some of them, and that's something that I realized like, you know, what was ortho- what is orthodox to like the Trinity was not orthodox for a long time. And so it's like, I, I keep, I just, I fall in line with the tradition of Jesus of arguing with my tradition. And so it's like, I think it is heretical not to argue and not to push back and not to say, and like also don't tell me about my experience of God. Like, like it, it happened whether or not I wish it, ha- like I wish it hadn't happened so that I didn't have to explain it or like try to make sense of it. Um, I, I think that just like, I believe my experiences now. Um, they, they, they are to me a valid and sacred text um, with, to which I draw from. So uh, we are at time because I know that we want to get over to the next event at 7.30. So I want to say thank you to all of you who came in and hung out with me at A Tiny Revolution. I want to say thank you to Isaac. You can find Isaac across the internet at iamclinic.org. Iamclinic.org. And on the Instagrams at something. LGBTQ underscore therapy. Yes. And you can follow me at the Kevin Garcia and go pre-order my book. It's available everywhere on January 31st. And I love you. Good night. Woo! Oh, wait, I'm supposed to do the, the ending. I always say it's like, until next time, uh, take your meds, call your therapist, move your body, eat something delicious. And, you know, when drink some water. We've been at the beach all day, you guys. We're really dehydrated. And if you go out tonight, make sure you ask consent before you smooch somebody on the lips, okay? Bye! Woo! Who's in their feelings?